Kaya, 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 sing. Oil thigh in the brand. <laughs> I'd be lying to you if I said I knew all the words, Zach. <laughs> Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. Week one is in the books. Mr. Nate Hobbs, how did you feel first week covering as a uh, now former member of the uh, the media? How, how was it for you? You know, Zach, I would be lying if I didn't say my heart hurt a little bit, you know, not being involved in one of the sidelines, but uh, it was great to be a fan and, and you know, I'm, I'm waking up feeling blessed this morning Let's that I get to talk about it, so... Well, we'll dive into all the news and notes from the game. We'll start off with a few acknowledgments to uh, some standouts from week one, our picks for offensive, defensive, and special teams players of the week. Uh, we'll start with offense. And, uh, you know, one of the things not having Dakota on the show anymore is I feel a little more feel a little more comfortable to be me, shout out some of the offensive lines, some of the, some of the hoggies, and we'll get into what they did uh, when we talk about Western Mac. But I'm giving my offensive player to the week, of the week to the Western offensive line. Because if you checked out any of that game, you saw that Keon Edwards and Trey Humes ran all over Mac, and half the time they were getting five, seven yards past the line of scrimmage before first contact. So this one goes out to the Hoggies here in London. Uh, shout out to uh, shout out to you guys. You guys killed it out there. So that's my pick for offensive players of the week. Who do you got? Well, first, that's very sweet of you, Zach. You know, I'm sure those guys <laughs> appreciate the recognition. We know they need it. Um, <laughs> Who do I got? They do. They do. They do. Let's be honest. They do. And they deserve it. Okay. Yes, they deserve sir. it. That's not spoken like a good taken. quarterback. <laughs> good, good man. Yeah. So who I got? I got Rodney Estime. Esteem. I'm sorry if I get the name wrong. From Ottawa, the receiver number nine. Oh my God, Zach. Some of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen watching OUA football. We're talking triple coverage with a PI call. He gets the and one. You know, big third and 10 late in the game, bomb down the sideline, dunks over the UOT defender. I was in awe of this kid, you know, bailed out Ben Miracle a couple of times. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he's a young guy. So looking forward to seeing more of this kid as the season goes on, because uh, it was it was honest. It was astonishing. Shout out. And, we, you know, we'll get obviously to Ottawa when we get to that game. But, you know. It was really nice checking out the 55-man roster, seeing Dawson O'Day's name back in the mix for Ottawa, a guy who you would have competed against a few years back who was very deadly for them. So we'll we'll get to Ottawa, um, which despite the loss, I, I actually feel very good about them this year. Um, moving over to the defensive side of the ball, um, we'll, I'll, I'll let you start off. Who do you have on defense for your defensive player of the week? Yeah, no, I'm going, I'm going a bit of a homer pick here. <clears throat> you know, this is a guy who, who I played with a guy who now lives in my former place of residence. He lives in my old student house. Anthony Federico, my boy Federico. Fetty from Queens. Three sacks on the day, and really that was sort of, you know, the difference in the game was that Queens front in the defense, and he really led the way for them. So I got to give kudos to him. Three sacks and a couple nice sellies flexing over the Carlton bench. Really enjoyed him putting on a show for me at the 3 o'clock game there. So shout out yeah, to Fetty. Just- he just has those go-go gadget arms that he can just like pull down the quarterback still engaged with his man. Um, big fan of Federico. Had him on the show when we went to visit Queens. Crazy nice guy on top of being a great football player. You obviously know that better than better than most people do. My pick, I'm going with Michael Reed, linebacker for the Waterloo Warriors. 
Um, didn't know Michael was going to be back for Waterloo. We'll obviously get into that game, but the defense as a whole, you know, obviously playing a bit of a weaker uh, opponent in Windsor, but that defense looked really solid, which obviously following the Trey Ford years in Waterloo has been the biggest thing, seeing if that uh, defense can uh, just be a little more consistent. And at the linebacker position, he's going to be huge for them controlling that defense. He had something like two TFLs, a sack, a forced fumble, and then a fumble recovery, which... If I'm thinking, if it was him on the play I'm thinking of, he ended up scooping and scoring for like 60 plus yards, something nuts. So he's, you know, obviously uh, for a linebacker, he's got some wheels. So shout out to Michael Reed. Uh, we'll move over to the special teams side of things. And uh, I'm going to stay in Waterloo. I'm going to give a tip of the cap to Tyrell Ford. You know, it won't show up on the box scores. And if you weren't following our tweets or following that game, you probably don't know that he had a punt return touchdown called back. For an inadvertent whistle, there were some, uh, I don't know, some people in the stands somewhere with, uh, you know, blowing a whistle or something going on like that, uh, which ended up costing their own man a touchdown, but it was still a wicked play, and he had some other good returns as well. You know, people know what a threat he is as a as a corner on defense making plays, and I'm pretty sure people know what a threat he is returning the ball as well. So shout out to you, Tyrell. It won't show up in the stats, but uh, you know we love you here at the 55. You know, for me, Zach, you talk about the O-line and getting some recognition. How about how about the punter kickers out there? You know, let's give them some recognition. And I'm going to go with Christopher McLean of U of T. Now, anyone watch the game saying, well, didn't he miss a couple field goals? Uh, yes. <laughs> but, you know, talking <laughs> about him as a punter, you look at the difference in that game and it absolutely was, was field position. We'll get into that later. But Ottawa constantly starting deep in their own end. Chris had a big play to that. And even though he didn't miss the field goal, one led to the game winning Rouge. So kudos to that as well. Way to go, Chris. Shout out to kickers and punters. They are, in fact, people too. Before we, our last little stop before we head into the recap, our who's back of the week. This will transition well into our game of the week. My who's back, Trey Humes running back, Western Mustangs. Didn't get the bulk of the carries, but man, when he touched the ball, he was effective. He, despite having, I think he ended up with more yards than Keon Edwards, despite having like half of his carries. Keon got the touchdowns for him, uh, for Western, that is. But, uh, you know, I didn't know Trey was going to be back this year. So when I showed up at, I think they're calling it Mustang Stadium now. I don't, I don't think it's TD Stadium anymore, but I think they changed the name when they changed the field. But either way, when I saw that number four was going to be in the backfield for Western again this year, it, Along with some other players that I saw back on their roster for Western, including Mr. Brett Ellerman, who had himself a nice game as well, um, made me rethink my position on Western going into this year. I think I might have been sleeping on them, but uh, we'll get into that momentarily. Who do you have for who's back, Nate? Kaya, 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 sing. I'd be lying to you if I said I knew all the words, but it's... It's not other than the Queen's Gales and, you know. <laughs> Wait, that's not like an old Beatles B-side there? No, I mean, you'd oh. be. <laughs> that's not Lennon and McCartney there? No, I, I, I you know, I apologize if, if people don't recognize it. I know maybe it's the most hated <laughs> song in all, all the OUA, but, um, you know, maybe Queen's fans are sitting back and players, Nate, you idiot. Didn't you pick against us? Yeah, I did. And you know what? I was an idiot. Was. Let's get this straight. You know, 
What do we all strive for as human beings? I'm only 25 years old, Zach. I can change. It's not too late for me. You know, I strive to be a better person every day. And, you know, I can change my mind and give these guys the love and attention that they deserve. And you know what? You should want me to change and improve too. So guys, let's, you know, bury the hatchet here. I love you. I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. And I hope you had a blast in Kingston last night. It's so happy to see y'all back with a big win at Carlton. If there isn't a more thorough and effective way of ensuring Queens doesn't win another game this whole year, it's what you just did. <laughs> but uh, no, you got to sh- got to shout out your boys, and they definitely had a great outing getting the season started off right. We will get to that, but we will start off our review with our game of the week, which perhaps didn't live up to the billing, but it was Western. It was Mac here in London. Final score in this one: Western forty-one, McMaster. 13 yikes quickly just going over some of the lines for this game we had this one set at western minus three and a half so if you were like me taking mac in this one you uh you know you failed on all fronts there uh as far as our uh our little uh, game prop we had josh cumber set at half a pick for the game on the over under ended up with none so check with your book We t- <laughs> we set the line. We took the p- <laughs> we took made our picks. Um, so just you know, check in with your bookie, see how you're doing after that one. Um, we talked about this game was all about revenge, not only revenge for Western having lost to Mac in the 2019 Yates at home, but also for Jackson White, former master quarterback, and uh, you know going up against his old team on the day Jackson finished 12 for 17, two TDs, one interception. The interception was actually on his first throw of the game. Uh, Nate, did you get a chance to, to, to follow along with this one or, or what kind of thoughts did you have uh, from the, this result? I mean, this really, for me, was all about Western getting back to their roots. You know what I mean? They have a, you know, a talented quarterback and Chris Merchant, but deep down, deep down, this is who they want to be. You know what I mean? Just manhandling teams that it was it was scary hours. I'll be dead honest. You know, I can't tell you I've seen it. I've stood on the sidelines. I've seen that rushing attack just go downfield over and over and over. I can't tell you how deflating it is. You know, really impressed with Weston, impressed with the offensive line, impressed with the defensive line. You know, whenever Mac was able to get some good things going, it was sort of the pressure. And whether that was bringing pressure or getting pressure with four guys, you know, Weston was able to do that. It doesn't show up in the sacks because Duex, you know, he's a vet. He's going to get rid of the ball. But in sort of watching the game and how it flows, that really disrupted the Mac offense. They did a few good things, but, you know, it was really that pressure that kind of set them off. And, um, you know, it, it got it was close for a while, but it it got out of hand late. That's for sure. No, I mean, you hit the nail on the head to me. The story, the story of this game, um, you know, despite all the angles of revenge and clearly both Western and Jackson were able to uh, exact their revenge. But, um, you know, it, it was all about the line play. Uh, Keon Edwards and. Uh, you know, Trey Humes, who we mentioned having great games, I think combined they had about like 300 yards rushing and and weren't getting touched for so many of those yards. And on the other side of things, you know, Mac was not able to get a running game going at all. You know, one thing that obviously affected that and the pressure that Western was able to get is that I think still in the first half, their right tackle, Max Guy, went down with injury, didn't see him return. Uh, Michael Martin stepped in for them. Seemed to do a good job, but, you know, Duick was running for his life a lot of the time, and he was either getting sacked or, you know, he definitely showed he's got some escapability that um, people might forget. I mean, he definitely showed that off in 2019 as well. But, you know, 
definitely a little shaky for them um, out the jump. So we'll have to see how that one, uh, you know, how they can bounce back off of that one. Um, yeah, for yeah, Western this just just kind of business as usual. I, I don't I don't know. We'll we'll see. They they got Guelph next week, which we'll get into when we preview it. But <sighs> it was a it was a oh y'all forgot performance. <laughs> y'all forgot about us, huh? You you guys really thought and you know. <laughs> I will say though for Mac, I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I think I think they were probably a little bit surprised about the pressure and the running game for sure. But I think that offense. You know, they were able to piece together some drives, and I think having a better plan for that pressure in the future um, will, you know, allow them to be more successful. But, um, yeah, bad start to the year, but I, I'm not too too worried for this MAC team yet. So No, yeah, I agree. And some bad penalties in there as well, and game got a little chippy. And, and, and honestly, Western didn't really pull away until late in the third, into the fourth quarter, although, I mean – I think pretty much the scoring for Mac up to that point was a fumbled snap on a punt that set them up on, on the Western six yard line. So not great, not, not great, but uh, Hey, if, if you're cheering for the purple ponies, you're, you're super psyched up. Um, so once again, 41 to 13 for Western and uh, we'll move on to our next game, York at Laurier. So final score in this game, the Laurier golden Hawks, 37, the York lions, six, if you saw we tweeted something out uh, during the game yesterday or pre- prior to the game, uh, which was that from perusing some of the 55-man rosters, there was uh, a few question marks raised on the York side of things, uh, which have seemingly been cleared up for us. They were missing a number of players. And what we have learned from uh, what happened in this game is that, so the OUA's vaccination rule, they put in place as of I think it was the end near the end of August. I think it was the 25th of August. Is that all players need to have their double f- vaccines 14 days prior to I think it was the 13th of October. So I guess pretty much have your second dose in you by the end of September. Laurier, as a university, made the decision uh, whether for the school wide or just for football that apparently they needed to have all players and coaches or coaches I assume but all participants in the game to be 14 days double vaxxed prior to the first game being yesterday this being what led to a number of York players apparently 11 starters in total having to miss this game and the cherry on top on all this is that apparently on York side of things they didn't actually get word of this until the day before the game so you know, we'll kind of just leave it at that for people to kind of make of it what you will. If you're from the Laurier side of things, you know, we're not trying to, you know, misconstrue this or, or paint this in a way that it isn't. If there's anything else to this and you're hearing it and you want to hit us up to let us know anything else that went on there, uh, definitely. We'll, we're very interested to get the full scope of the story because obviously this could have ramifications for next week's game as well because it's the Battle of Waterloo and it's at Laurier. I believe it's at Laurier. So that could have ramifications for that week as well. Um, before we get into the analysis, anything about that jump out to you? What are your thoughts, uh, Nate, um, kind of as that story unfolded throughout the last 24 hours? Well, I mean, without getting into, you know, I don't feel like I have enough information to really have an opinion on it or anything like that. Sure, yeah. But I think, you know, if we're talking football, I mean, if you're missing 11 starters, that's going to have a significant impact on the game. So, 
just from that perspective, if that's what happened to be the case, then York was at a significant disadvantage. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, looking at some of the some of the spreads on this one, we did it was set at minus seven and a half for Laurier. So if you took them on that one, you know, you were safe and sound on the bet. Dante Master Giuseppe went under on our total punts yards that we thought he was gonna hit. Um so you know, check in, check in with your check in with your bets, see how you're doing. Um, but so looking at this game though, uh, let me throw this at you. For a team that was favored, all things being equal, Laurier, that is going into this week playing at home. I mean, thirty-seven to six—that's a nice score. But when you add in the fact that York missed, as you said, eleven players. Does this not feel a little underwhelming of a performance for Laurier? What, what are your what are your thoughts? Not looking at any administrative stuff, but actually now like the boys that were on the field. What are your thoughts about this Laurier team after one week of action? Uh, you know, Zach, I'm be honest, I wasn't impressed. Uh, you know, Laurier throughout the game, early in the game, you know, we're in positions, very favorable positions due to turnovers. <laughs> they blocked two punts. They had a snap that went over the York quarterback's head that they recovered later on the game. They blocked the field goal. I'm looking at the box score here and I believe it says they had nine total turnovers. York had four interceptions and five fumbles lost. That is nine turnovers. Like for me to say this should have been anything other than like a 50 burger, like is absurd for any team, any team in the league. And I think to end up with 37 off of nine turnovers, like, if it was me, if I was Laurier, I'd be really disappointed. I'd be really disappointed in the performance. I know they lost Carousello in the game. I understand, you know, that obviously played into it. But regardless, I think based off of the turnovers and sort of the field they had, I'm not I'm not really feeling that good about this week one game. And I don't know how confident I'm feeling going into Waterloo next week. Well, I mean, I don't think I felt overly confident about Laurier going against Waterloo in either of their matchups this year. But as you said, especially after this week's performance, and yeah, we saw Carousello go out. Uh, Taylor Algersma filled in the rookie. He got his first career touchdown. We had him on the freshman 15 way back in the wintertime. And, you know, the thing is, is that like, you know, at the receiver position, they have some talent, some guys that have been there for a few years, like Ante Agravon and Romy Simpson. So some good guys there. But, you know, if it's a rookie quarterback out there trying to make it happen, it's going to totally be difficult and for them to, for them to get the production that they that they could. And if there's one thing we've been talking about at the early stages of the season, it is totally that this West part of the OUA is going to be super competitive. And we already talked about how good Western's looking already. We'll get to Waterloo. So for Laurier, I think for them to have any success this season. Um, you know, despite starting off one and zero, now it's going to come down to that defense. But you know, as you mentioned, they were turning the ball over, and it's a lot of familiar names in that defensive linebacker and secondary core, causing those turnovers and causing havoc. Guys like Will Moa, Tommy Bringy, uh, Shamari Hutchison, Christian Hutter Cop, and guys that have been there in that system. So you know, the, I think that whatever success they get this year moving forward. I think is going to be predicated on that defense, um, not only stopping teams, but man, they, they're probably going to have to produce some offense as well. Which, you know, once again, looking at some of those names, Willemo is no stranger to not only picking off the ball, but you know, putting his offense in a good position with with uh, f- uh, with the field position game as well. So, yeah, I I don't think we can really comment on York after this week because I don't think it's fair to uh, 
to put too much analysis. Obviously, you mentioned some of the things like the 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 block punts and, and some of the fumbles. That stuff obviously can get cleaned up. Um, you know, an- another piece out of this one is that it didn't seem like uh, the coaches on both sides were overly happy with the uh, the abilities of the of the zebras out there. The stripes uh, seemed like they had a bit of a rough game. Some penalties that they uh, missed or that they called incorrectly. So a bit a bit of a rough game all, all around on this one. So. I feel comfortable putting a bow on that one, uh, unless you have any other notes on that one uh, you want to mention. Well, I do. I do think the defensive deserves some credit, as you mentioned. You know, <clears throat> kind of watching this game, you know, simultaneously with with the U of T game, it felt like every time I was looking over, it was kind of craney, rolling out left or rolling out right because of pressure. You know, that D line for Laurier. You know, they're they're scary. They look really good. That defense for Laurier looks good, and I I think you know. The York defense looked good as well. They were putting a lot of a lot of really tough spots. And to be honest, they came through time and time again while the game was still close. Obviously, in the fourth quarter, kind of things devolve. And especially after that long um, medical delay, you know, um, it's kind of hard to continue to play after something like that. But But I thought both defenses played really well. And I think, you know, it's not all doom and gloom for Laurie because I think you know, Elgersma, like for a first year kid, I thought he did well. I mean, he didn't look out of place. It looked like he had a, a command of the offense. And, you know, f- from that perspective, you know, I think you have to be at least relatively happy with that situation. And it's probably not as bad as it could be. So just a couple of things I wanted to point out. But other than that, I'm good. Well, then let's move on to a game you were very familiar with. Your, or pardon me, U of T the Ottawa GGs this game at Varsity Stadium final score in this one U of T 11 Ottawa 10 line was set Ottawa minus eight and a half so probably a few people not too happy with that result we had Kevin Victome cornerback for the Ottawa GGs at three and a half on the over under four tackles he ended up with four so he smashed the over on that one so this team as we talked about U of T that is the big question mark is a lot of those returning guys that made that offense so spectacular in 2019 on the player personnel, but how would they fare with actually, without the guy who was calling the shots in Tommy? Now they pick up the win, but of course, 11 points isn't you know what we came to expect from Clay and the Bird Gang. Uh, from you following this one, what was your take? What was your biggest takeaway? <laughs> well, as far as takeaway goes, um, Zach, I'm fairly certain in watching the game that. Um, you know, you had head coach Greg Marshall calling the plays for the University of Toronto. So, you know, having a defensive guy running the offense, calling the shots, it's a fascinating dynamic. And, you know, it's 11 points, but this UFT offense is, is much, it's, it's not much different that they will continue to throw, they threw the ball 40 times. Okay. So they, they obviously aren't super different, but I think you know, one thing I pointed out last week is they need to be more consistent. They can't be going to and out all the time. And I think that was really sort of the key for them in this game was that, you know, they'd line up in, in some different formations. There'd be some motion. There'd be some movement. They'd run the ball from time to time. And they were able, you know, even though you look at the numbers and they're not super flattering, what you kind of see watching the game is that they were always able to move the ball and sort of put themselves in position to, give Chris McLean, as we mentioned earlier in the show, the chance to boot it deep and give Ottawa sort of, you know, long field to go. And for me, that's really kind of the difference. You look at Ottawa, they outgained U of T 
<clears throat> granted by 40, 50 yards or so. And all the other stats are as tight as they could be. Time of possession off by 10 seconds. This was a really, really close game. But you look at U of T had multiple field goal chances. Ottawa only had one. They had about the same amount of yards. What does that tell you? Well, U of T had probably better starting position. I think that was a different for this game. I like what the offense did for U of T. It was much more simple, and I think it'll be really, really interesting to see how it develops going through the year, obviously, because, you know, you need, you need to sort of evolve as the year goes on. And and uh, going into a bye, you know, they got to be feeling real good, Zach. And, and, you know, you, you shouted this guy out when we previewed this game in Adam Williams running back for U of T. And, you know, nine attempts, 42 yards isn't going to blow anyone's socks off. But, you know, if you actually go back to some of the outings he was having in 2019 and not to put it on them because we know that that was a really depleted offensive line they were working with that year. Um, frankly, that's that's promising. I, I don't say that to say like, well, I'm setting the bar so low for the U of T rushing game, but... You know, I, I do think that is a positive seeing an out an outing like that, 942, like I said. Not, you know, not top of the leader charts, but just from where we saw this team's rushing attack. And speaking of the rushing game, once again, kind of, you know, doing a little pregame uh, 55-man roster digging, seeing Dosno Day's name back in the fold for Ottawa, I thought, it, I think is going to be huge for them. He, you know, finished with a touchdown, nine attempts, 58 yards. But of course, you know, not just him, but now having J.P. Simonkinda, the transfer from Guelph, who missed the 2019 season, but in 2018 was so pivotal when they beat Waterloo to end the regular season, then beat them in the first round of the playoffs. He's a big running back he's got speed so if they can make that work with those two you know the theme so far in the east side the OUA is that it is just going to be well despite I guess being on the east side kind of the wild wild west you were kind of mentioning this before we started recording it is wide open or at least it looks like it's wide open from the jump so you know despite the loss like I don't think Ottawa should be hanging their heads at all I think you know even Miracle like 20 for 30 uh, 20 for 36 253 no touchdowns and one pick once again comparing with some of the outings we saw in his rookie season I think that's more promising. I, I do. And, you know, we mentioned Kevin Victome's name for Ottawa. Some other guys on the defense. Luke Grease at safety, who I'm sure uh, you've, uh, you're familiar with for I, some I mean, battles I with him. Name sounds familiar, Zach. Sounds <laughs> familiar. <laughs> Definitely a nice uh, player to have back, holding it down. Kind of the last vestige of those secondaries with the Cranston brothers uh, back there a few years back. So. You know, I think you're right. I think this takeaway from this one is that these teams seem fairly evenly matched up. And, uh, you know, it, I'm just, the East is going to be really intriguing. So uh, any any other last notes on this one? Yeah, and you, you talk about that U of T running game. And I think even if it's it's not going to blow you away, it's, you know, they're going to run the ball. You know what I mean? And yeah, in Keep teams honest. In 2019, let's be honest, it wasn't really a threat. Teams didn't necessarily believe that Toronto was going to run the ball. And just having that there and sort of, it gives the O-line a break because, you know, the defense isn't going to be pinning, pinning its ears back and pass rushing every single down. You know, they tried to move a pot, the pocket a bit as well and sort of, you know, allowing the O-line to not be in drop back pass, drop back pass. That is so hard to do just pass block over and over again. And I think that really helped them out as well. Talking about the Ottawa offense, it seemed like kind of like you said, an offense that was finding it, its feet. Um, they started off with Simon Kanda and I think moved further and further to O'Day as kind of the game went on. And I think you'll probably see 
that be more of the norm going forward. And, you know, Ben Miracle did have a nice game. Um, if I told you before the game that he would have, you know, more yards than Clay Sakara, you, you might scratch your head a bit, but that, that happened, you know, <laughs> not necessarily saying he had, the even best. when you add in the rushing, even when you add in the rushing. Yeah, and I'm not necessarily saying he had the better game or he had the pick and, you know, Clay played a very smart game, but I think there's some promise there and I think they'll get better as the season goes on. So, you know, they're definitely not happy, I think after this game, but they shouldn't, they shouldn't be too, too worried. Absolutely. And, and, you know, as you mentioned with UFT there, I, I think kind of like with Waterloo, and we'll get to them shortly, coming off of that 2019 season, perhaps looking to be a little more well-rounded as a team. Um, I don't put UFT in the same tier as I have Waterloo, but just sort of philosophically, I think, just less of the one-trick pony, even if the rushing game is not going to be stellar. As you mentioned, keeping the defense honest, knowing that uh, for those offensive linemen, that yeah, the D-line's not just pinning their ears back every time because there are some good pass rushers in this league. But we will stay in the OUA East and go into the game that was perhaps, not perhaps, that was undoubtedly, I see your Queen's helmet in the background, the closest one to your hearts. You already sung us the song. It was Queen's 18, Carlton 9. Um, you know, we had this one at Carlton, minus 6.5. Uh I don't know if we have did did you find the stats on this one? because uh, I forget on the OUA website it was showing Yes. You do you want Ferguson? Oh yeah, for Ferguson, because it wasn't showing on the OUA website. We had it at over under eighty five and a half. Uh I think that went under. It was we have way that confirmed. Under <laughs> five carries for twelve yards. Yikes. Um a guy I was very bullish on going into this season. Of course, one game doesn't make a season. Um but yeah, you know, despite what it showed, once again, doing a little compare and contrast with the 55-man rosters, it looked like Lacandro was set to start this one, but it was number seven seemingly all day, James Keenan doing his thing. And, uh, you know, as the, I guess, the predecessor of this this current backfield, what do you th- how do you feel about the young man at Pivot for them right now? You know, I think he's exactly what they need. And, you know, he looked comfortable. He looked confident. He played mistake-free. You know, and sort of knowing that he has that five yards every time if he wants it. I think that is so valuable to the offense. And, uh, you know, I got to give credit to the O-line. They looked really good, allowing Keenan to look comfortable. And even when he was scrambling, it was very rarely more than one guy. As a quarterback, you know, it's kind of, you know, maybe maybe this is just me. But if it's just one guy, I mean, I should be able to maneuver out of the way. It's sort of when you get the second and third and the pockets collapsing. But he was able to maneuver in the pocket, you know, with relative ease, I think. And, you know, really helped the offense. They seemed comfortable. They were constantly in favorable second down situations. They didn't, you know, blow you away with anything, but they got in a position to strike and they took their shots. And it was really that simple. And, you know, a couple big shots as well. And against a secondary for Carlton, I think we talked about this on our, our preview where, kind of a similar thing with a lot of these teams going against the grain of, of what their identity was, where perhaps Carlton traditionally a bit more defensively focused, but looking at some of the guys like Tanner DeJong and uh, you know Joshua Ferguson that may be a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, when we go through that defensive secondary, you know, Cole Hepburn, Danny McWord, or Cedric Levine, Joachim Christian, some really talented players in that Carlton secondary. So, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, the O-line gave him time, but, he, you know, he's not just, this isn't Skelly. This is a really solid defense. And, you know, 18 points isn't obviously, you know, world beating, but 
this was a game that we said was going to be hugely important as the teams, the two teams that perhaps are going to be mostly vying for the top of that East spot. And um, yeah, and, and on the defensive side, when Queens needed to to really shut things down late in this game, that defense came through. Um, because Carlton did move the ball pretty well. I think they shot themselves in the foot a fair number of times with some big penalties, which uh, I think is a bit of a theme for Carlton over the years. But no, I, I think similarly, one of my big takeaways in this one is, uh, like you said, with Ottawa and Toronto, pretty evenly matched. Pretty evenly matched. That's gonna. I feel like it's going to sound like a broken record talking about these East matchups. Yeah, and sort of during my time at Queens, that was sort of the defining characteristic of us is in these close games, you know, we came up short. We didn't really come through. We didn't really clinch it, you know. And some people maybe say, "Well, Nate, that's because you choked every time." Well, you know, maybe it is. I don't. I, I'm, it's not for me to say. But you know, it was really, it was really, really good to see Queen sort of have that mental fortitude. Every time Carlton came down and was in sort of striking distance, the defense, you know, stiffened up, forced field goals, and the offense, you know getting that kill shot late in the game to go up 18 to six. I mean, that's just something they weren't, you know, myself, we weren't able to do in the past. And I think it's a really good sign for this team. Obviously looking at the numbers, this isn't going to be their best game of the year, but the way to be gritty and win like this, I'm, I'm really impressed. And I'm, you know, it makes me feel bullish about this team. Well, I I think, uh, I think you have all the reason to be, and uh, as someone who doesn't perhaps have the same Queens bias that you may have, I'm not going to say you do, but who may have, uh, no, I, I'm very impressed with this team. And I can't wait to see how this East standing plays out. Moving to uh, the nightcap in the OUA, our final game of week one it was the Windsor Lancers visiting the Waterloo Warriors. Final score in this one, uh, not so great for our friends from Windsor. It was the Warriors 42, Windsor Lancers 14. You know, the, so starting with the lines, which is minus 13 and a half for the Warriors. They covered that one. We had Trey over under total yards, 388 and a half. Actually went under that. And we, we kind of made this point talking about the Loria-York game where, you know, not just because of the perception of those two teams, all things being equal, but especially given the players York was missing, despite it being one side at the end of the day, did it not feel like Laurier should have done better? And I think we were in agreement that Laurier still should should have done much better given those circumstances. And watching this game, it was a bit of a slow start for Waterloo. And my first thought was, here's Windsor just doing what they always do, playing Waterloo tough. I don't know how they do it, but they just do it. But then slowly, but slowly and surely, Trey Ford started doing the Trey Ford things, you know, moving it with his arm, moving it with his legs, scoring touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, passing touchdowns. It, it, all the all the things, all the Trey Ford things. Um, but there was part of me that felt just like this team wasn't, it just didn't feel the same. It was something I, was, I thought they, I was kind of hoping for a little bit more. And I think what the, what dawned on me as I watched this, as I watched the game, and I ran into Tyler Ternowski at the game, uh, uh, former receiver for, why, why am I explaining who Tyler Ternowski is? People know Tyler Ternowski. Um, and kind of, we were talking about it a little bit that, the offense wasn't necessarily as explosive as it had been in years past. Ternowski not being there plays a big part in it. But overall, a bit more methodical. Chewed up more time. You know, Brandon Metz had a really solid game running the ball for them. Another team where I'm very, very uh, bullish on their offensive line, having a lot of vets come back. And then defensively, not to, you know, make a mountain out of a molehill per se, but and especially with uh, Windsor not being one of the top offensive threats in the league, Really solid, really solid, which, you know, is going to be the biggest thing to watch with this team. 
because that's been where they've perhaps been let down in years past. So I say all that to say that despite my initial reaction, I still felt a little underwhelmed with Waterloo. I think I realized that, no, this was actually a really good sign for Waterloo. The team as a whole just feels so much more solid. There didn't seem to be really any spots that even against a team like Windsor, you could highlight as being like, well, maybe that's a little bit of a weakness or a soft spot on this team. You know, and even you know, we, I highlighted in the, our special teams player of the week, you still got Tyrell Ford returning kicks for you. So really all three facets, they're looking solid. Uh, I, I know this one, you know, you weren't covering as closely as some of those others, but from just kind of checking out on the result and what you were keeping up with, what are your thoughts coming out of week one in Waterloo? I mean, you talk about Trey Ford hitting the under, and that kind of tells me that it, it wasn't necessarily just the Trey Ford show that we're used to. And, you know, the defense steps up. You know, Sam Gerard is not a bad player. He's a good quarterback. You know, they held him in check for the most part. Um, and I think, you know, the quarterback they're facing next week probably won't be as good as him. So, you know, I think this is exactly what we wanted to see from Waterloo. We mentioned it sort of talking about the game last week. And, you know, I'm happy. I think it's a good sign. And, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing what they have to offer against some of these tougher teams, let's say, in the West Division. No, absolutely. And you mentioned Sam Gerard, who I'm uh, a big fan of. I think he's just incredible. And, you know, they lost Matthew James for a little bit in this game at receiver. Him and Alex Bournet are going to be his big targets for this year. Expect them to put up good numbers, health, um, you know, bearing, bearing health. Um, in the running back position, you know, Windsor seemed to be rotating through a number of guys. I mean, they dressed a lot of guys that got touches. So I think for Windsor, a lot of signs of just a young team trying to trying to figure themselves out, you know, who's going to be our guy on, on this, uh, you know, for the in the running back position, penalties, some fumbles, some sloppy play. Um, overall, like I said, despite having a veteran like Gerard at quarterback, I think is indicative of just where they're at in their growth. So no doubt a lot to improve on for them, but I think that's what the season's all about. But yeah, I think uh, we're in agreement that a lot of positive things from Waterloo, despite, you know, if you're just checking the box score, you might think that Trey Ford didn't have a great game. But I think uh, despite what we said about him needing to put up numbers to make a run for the Heck Creighton, which I'm sure he will still be in contention for, it'll probably work to his favor if in addition to just Trey Ford's stats, it's also like, hey, this Waterloo team, he's not just leading this Waterloo team with gaudy numbers, but he's leading a team that looks like a well-oiled machine looking to make a run that always plays in with these with 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 any type of individual awards is just the story of the team as a whole um any other news and notes you want to hit on from uh from our last game there no i think you hit it on the head beautiful well that will wrap it up for this. We're doing things a little bit differently this week than we did in years past. We are splitting up our week reviews. So you got the review from week one. Later on this week on Thursday, we'll be dropping the preview for week two. Once again, make sure you're following us on all our socials. The team was all over Twitter trying to keep everyone up to date on what was happening throughout these games. Um, and, you know, obviously follow us on Instagram for, you know, the immense amount of content we'll be having during the week, players of the weeks, the over-unders, the lines for these games, things like that. Make sure to check out the website at the55.ca. Um, we'll be posting weekly uh, weekly blog posts, the breakdown, kind of a little bit of what you get on the podcast, but just putting it in writing, a few storylines to keep track of for each game. 
Those should be going up on Wednesdays of each week. And of course, you can buy merchandise on the website as well. Supports the brand and supports Stella's Place, a non-for-profit that supports young people with their mental health. And we're big fans of helping them out um, as best we can. So yeah, that'll do it for the recap episode. We'll see you next week, or we'll see you later this week at the 55.